This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Friday edition of Sports Bar Radio. Yes, it is the weekend, and judging by my calendar, for many of you today is payday. 15th and 30th? I think most of us get paid somewhere in and around there. But uh, anyways, I hope you got your pay today, and I hope you go paint the town red in some way, shape, or form. Just do it responsibly and wear your mask where you can. All right, we got a lot to get into today, as I always say. Vancouver Canucks getting ready to play their second game of the season. This time, they're going to find themselves in the city of brotherly love. Yes, getting ready to take on the Philadelphia Flyers. That is an early bird special starting at 4 o'clock here on the West Coast. Just one of three games in the NHL, only game involving a Canadian team. News from the NFL, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals going out and uh, enhancing their offense as they went out and got tight end Zach Ertz from the Philadelphia Eagles. Ertz obviously no longer in his prime, but definitely a weapon at 30 years old. Uh, had 18 receptions for 189 yards and two touchdowns and had him in six games this season. So yeah, he's still effective and you put him with Kyler Murray and everything that's going on in Arizona. And that is just another weapon for those guys down in the desert. Major League Baseball getting ready to start their American League Championship Series, and what a storyline we have for you there. It'll be Alex Cora, the manager of the Red Sox, meeting his former team, the Houston Astros, in said American League Championship Series. Isn't that something? The Dodgers and the Braves getting ready for Game 1 of the National League Championship Series as well. And in the association, yes, it is true, Kyrie Irving's time with the Brooklyn Nets isn't over yet but it looks like the Nets are no longer going to offer him an extension. But let's get you to that one story of the day, the one story that rises above everybody else. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest. Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. All right, so one of the knocks that I got back when I was hosting my radio show, the late night version, Rob Fay Nation Radio, was that I was anti-Canadian Football League, that for some reason everybody thought that I was against the CFL because I simply said that some teams from the U.S. could probably come up from the collegiate level and be competitive if not beat some teams in the Canadian Football League. I'm going to leave that for another conversation because I don't think that's where I want to go with this one today. But again, I am not a naysayer per se of the CFL, but I am a little bit critical because the pandemic gave a lot of organizations time to step back, recalibrate, reinvigorate, and maybe even re-inspire their fan bases with something new. I mean, Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the Canadian Football League, had more than enough time to see where the chinks in the armor were, to go back get his ownership groups together and try to find a way to push this in a different direction. He was the one that said he wanted to globalize the game. He is the one that was in conversations with The Rock and the XFL trying to see if there was a merger there. And then there wasn't, and some Canadian football purists said that was good. But it was 18 months of opportunity for the Canadian Football League to step forward and do something different. Not just have the Edmonton Eskimos become the Edmonton Elks, but to truly push their game and their brand forward. I haven't seen anything different. Matter of fact, I think if I had all that time off and I came back to the drawing board with the exact same plan, 
then I would be up for discussion as far as my job stability goes. And I'm not calling for Randy Ambrosi's job, but man, what a missed opportunity. Like, I'm watching the Canadian Football League, and I'm thinking, this is exactly the same thing as what I was watching before the pandemic hit the globe. Like, what's different? And that, to me, is the problem, is every league had an opportunity to step back. And even though they were helping different teams and different franchises within their league try to stay above water, which was obviously, you know, primary focus number one, that, dude, you had so much opportunity to get your media department together, to try and focus with your partners in the media to reinvent the game or at least give it a clean slate and a fresh approach. I did a poll on my Twitter just today, a little bit earlier today, and the question was, the CFL had nearly a year and a half to reinvigorate its brand after kicking tires on the XFL, etc. Do you think the CFL is any better than it was pre-pandemic? 81% of you, four out of five people said no. And they're not wrong. Like, I'm not here to beat up the Canadian Football League, but again, it just, for me, feels like such a missed opportunity. Like, yes, the football is good. And yes, I think it was probably in the best interest of Canadian football as a whole that they didn't merger with the XFL. So maybe sometimes it's the things that you don't do that actually help elevate your game. If you want to look at this from a glass half full approach. But, and you're going to say, okay, Rob, don't bring me your problems, bring me your solutions. Well, my solution is, how could you have not come back with something bold, something new? And I'm not saying a fourth down. Redesign your playoff format. Do something. Change the way that fans can interact with the game. Something that makes me want to buy what you are selling. I'll go to a Lions game or two over the course of the year because, again, it's my hometown team. I got no problem firing on the orange and black and away we go. But that said, there's nothing that inspires me to do anything that we weren't already doing. And I know what you're thinking. What are they going to do to change the playoff format? Or what are they going to do aside from freshen up their uniforms? I mean, there's only so many things that you can do with nine teams in the CFL. But when you have a commissioner that said he was going to globalize the game, that he was going to push this game forward, and then you see the product 18 months later, and it's the same stuff? I don't know. I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you when it comes to your thoughts on the Canadian Football League. Am I wrong to say that there is definitely a missed opportunity? I guess I was just hoping for more. I was hoping that there was a way that the Canadian Football League could step out of their old shell like a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. I didn't expect the caterpillar to go into the cocoon and come out a caterpillar still. All right, before we go to the rest of the news of the day, I want to talk about a call last night in Game 5 between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Gabe Morales, on a check swing from Wilmer Flores, said that he went. And it ended the game. It ended the series. It was a 2-1 victory for the Dodgers. So a check swing, for those who don't know, is basically if your bat goes far enough through the strike zone and it passes the plane of the plate, that's a swing. But if you can somehow hold your bat back and not break then it is either a called strike from the umpire or it ends up being a ball. So on reflection, having watched it from three or four different angles, it was not a swing. And it ended the 107-win season for the San Francisco Giants. And what's interesting is he said afterwards, check swings are one of the hardest calls we have. I don't have the benefit of multiple camera angles when I'm watching it live. When it happened live, I thought he went, so that's why I called it a swing. That coming from the umpire that made the call. So here's the problem. 
That play is not reviewable. It is a judgment call. We're talking about an umpire who is 100 feet away, 100 feet away, and has to make a judgment on where a bat is two or three inches over the plate or behind the plate. It's almost an impossibility. So I got to think in a moment like this, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association are going to get together and they're going to have to look at something like that. I mean, I know that there's a big case for, and they're doing it right now, I believe in the American Association, where they're going to at least try robot umpires, which I think is sacrilege. I would never do a robot umpire. But I will say this, knowing that Wilmer Flores' at-bat should have continued, and knowing that that was a one-run game in a do-or-die game for a trip to the National League Championship Series, that is not a way that a game should end. If he went, then so be it. But when he didn't, and everybody knows that he didn't, and the umpire makes the wrong call, an almost unfair call to ask a first base umpire to make 100 feet away, then yeah, baseball's got to find a way to take control of that. I don't know if it happens in this next CBA. I don't know if it happens in the next round of rule changes, but tough way to see a very good series and a very good team ousted from the postseason. So again, congratulations to the Dodgers, the Braves, the Red Sox, and even the Astros, Asterix, I promise you, baseball is trending in the right direction, even when games like this have a black eye. All right, let's get into it. Let's keep this show moving. Let me get you to some of the thoughts of the day. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, so we did this kind of backwards. Usually this is a segment that I have coming right out. We call it the lead and everything's good, but uh, I posted a tweet yesterday about my thanks to EA Sports for allowing me to be the rank announcer on their NHL hockey game for 11 years. And a lot of people were surprised. They're like, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. But uh, I was thinking back to some of the coolest jobs that I've ever had. And I think all of us have had that one job where we look back and we're like, man, that was a good one. I wish I could do that again. Or I had a great time or something along those lines. It's not for everybody. Not everybody's had that luxury, but I have. And I remember, and bear with me for a second here, I'm just going to walk you through how this all happened. I was working at Napoli Stadium. I was a broadcaster and a communications guy with the Vancouver Canadians. It's a minor league affiliate. At the time, it was a minor league affiliate of the Oakland Athletics. And I got a call. And the call was from a friend named Sean Ramjagsing, who I think now is the executive producer of that game. And he said, listen, we're looking for a PA announcer for this game. Would you want to come and audition? And I was thinking, a hockey game? I had never done a hockey broadcast before. It was actually not even a part of the uh, resume on any level. So I go out and I audition, and I'm at this big campus at EA Sports in Burnaby. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is absolutely a spectacle. Like they've got uh, indoor training facilities, they got 360 captures for all the cameras, they got a soccer field for their people at lunch. I mean, it is unbelievable. So anyways, I'm there, and I'm auditioning, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really take it that serious, because I thought, surely, they're going to have all of these big league names, and I just kind of went in there and went for it, and didn't think much of it, went back, and ended up getting that job. I remember when I got that job thinking to myself, oh my god, like, I have played this particular video game, the NHL Hockey Series, forever. I remember Jim Houston back in the days doing it. Don Taylor did it for a while. And it was just so cool to think that I was going to have my voice 
in a game. Like, it was surreal to me. So the very first day that I go for recording, the first time that you do it, I mean, every year after you just do updates and you're in there for a day or two, but the first time when they have to interject your voice into all of the different leagues, you're there for like three weeks. So my first day was the day after they had fired like three, 400 people from EA Sports. So I walked in the very next day, bubbly and just completely pumped that I was getting this opportunity. And there were like sections of this building, this beautiful campus, that all of a sudden were empty. Like everybody had just gotten the boot like 24 hours earlier. And here I was walking in, starting this amazing opportunity. So I go in and I'm super pumped, obviously. And what I've got to do is I've got to do all these different inflections. Like an inflection is a variation of your voice. So for example, if I'm doing a, a go, like, let me do an assist actually. So if you're the first assist, your inflection goes up. And if you're the second assist, your inflection goes down. So for example, if I was to, you know, say goal scored uh, by number 22, Daniel Sedin, the assist to number 33, Henrik Sedin, and the assist to number 33, Henrik Sedin. So see how one goes up and one goes down? Well, imagine having to do that for like 4,000 players. That was what I had to do. I had to do all of my numbers, which was time of the goal, 01, 02, 03, 04, 05, and so on and so forth. The worst job in the entire building, I guarantee you, is the person that has to stitch all of that together. Like, that is an absolute art form. Like, if you ever think that it comes down to, you know, oh, the guy's got a good voice, nah, man. It's the person behind the scenes that stabilizes it, that equalizes it, that makes sure that everything's right, that nothing misses the mark. It is, uh, uh, it's got to take months for something that takes the guy that actually says it days. But in any event, I remember fast-forwarding to September. That's usually around when they release the game. I had recorded it, I believe, in March or April. The game comes out, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I got to get a copy of this game. I go to EA Sports. And my contract, and again, I'll never disclose the terms of it. It was great. One of the benefits that I really worked hard is I wanted a couple copies of the game. Ooh, a couple <laughs> a couple copies of the game. That was That was written into the contract. So sure enough, I go to EA Sports, I grab my copy of NHL 11, if memory serves me correct, it had Jonathan Taves on the cover, and uh, I get home. I put the game in, it takes about 5-10 minutes to load, and then all of a sudden I realize I'm playing this game. And it was unbelievably surreal to me. Like, I think back to everything that I had done as a kid and all the trying hard at Rogers Community Television and Shaw Cable and, you know, the highs and lows of the media and bartending at night and all these things. And all of a sudden, something that was going to be played on PS3s and Xboxes all over the world had my voice on it. Now, I wasn't the primary voice. I was always just the rink announcer. There's not the, you know, cachet of being the play-by-play -play guy or the color commentator, but still... Every time a goal was scored by anybody that played that game in the background was my voice. And I thought for sure that that was just going to be a one-year thing. Like I was a bridge guy that had the opportunity to just get in, get done, and surely they're going to find somebody like an Al Murdoch or somebody bigger that was going to be able to come in and put their voice to it. I ended up getting to do that game for 11 years. And there were some really cool moments within that. I remember the first couple of years thinking, man, it would have been cool to do this back when, you know, my heroes were playing the game. And then sure enough, wouldn't you know it, I think it was like six or seven years in, they created the Legends. And that included Wayne Gretzky. 
and Mario Lemieux and Mike Bossy and Steve Eiserman and then all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, man, this is the greatest because instead of just doing, you know, goals scored by Daniel and Hendrik Sedin, now you're doing goals scored by Wayne Gretzky, the assist to Mario Lemieux and Steve Eiserman. Time of the goal, 14.05. And so it was just, um, it was one of those things where as, a, as an adult, you're a kid again. And uh, I just thought it was so cool to be able to, even to this day, put something out associated with EA Sports and have people say, oh my God, that was you. <laughs> it was, the whole time. I was driving in today thinking about all of the different things that I've been able to do. And I don't see this like, look at all the things that I've done, but isn't it amazing? Sometimes on a rainy day, you're sitting back and you're just thinking back to all the different crazy moments in your life. And one that came across, I had this conversation the other day with my daughter and it's kind of sports related. We were talking about lying as a kid. You know, like teenagers, I hate to say it, but they stretch the truth every chance they get when they want something and they know that there's gonna be a little friction to get what it is they want. And I'm very fortunate in our family that doesn't happen very often. I'm sure we're not perfect, but I don't really see it as a problem, especially with my daughter who has been fantastic. Uh, my son too, but my daughter, we just have such a good relationship. So I was telling her this story about when I was in, I had just finished grade eight. Grade eight was my final year of my K to eight, and then I went to high school for grade nine. So in grade eight, I had probably the best teacher that I've ever had. His name is Gary Lehman, Mr. Lehman. I doubt he is still with us, but it was amazing that he is still with me, even as we have this conversation. So I was telling my daughter that after grade eight, and again, I was living in a rough part of town, I had been bounced around from a couple of different schools during that K-8 span. I had actually, I went to one school from kindergarten grade two, I went to a different school for grade three, different school for grade four, different school for grade five, different school for grade six through eight, and finally got a little bit of stability in a neighborhood. So anyways, I think when you're young and you go to all these different schools, you always have to start over. Like you've always got to reintroduce yourself to kids. You always got to reintroduce yourself to the teachers. You've got really no track record, nothing to kind of come back from. So every year it was kind of like, well, I can tell them I'm this because reality is, is I'm not going to get checked. There's going to be no receipts on this. So I really loved this teacher. He was just such a good guy. He saw me through some, you know, tough times. Like he knew I was struggling in school and would stick with me. And so the next year I had gone off to school. I was having the worst year, just the absolute worst year. I went to a school, an art school, because my family and, and myself thought that I was good at art. It was just a bad placement on the wrong side of town. And the next year my mom ended up getting me out of there. But for that year I was struggling. One of the days after school, I, got, I guess I got off early. And I was coming back and I passed my junior school. And so I went in and I went to see my teacher, Mr. Lehman. And I wanted to show well. You know, I didn't want him to know that I was getting bullied in grade nine and that I was getting stuffed in lockers, which actually happened, I'm that kid. And uh, lo and behold, I walked in and I told him, I said, oh, you know, uh, I was playing minor league baseball last year and um, got to meet Nolan Ryan and played double A. And he knew that I was a huge baseball fan. And I was just a kid. I didn't know anything. I was in the ninth grade, a little behind when it came to just reality. And it was so funny because I went in there and I told him, I said, ah, oh, you know, I'd love to teach the young kids here at the school how to throw a baseball and, and pitch. And I'd love to do a clinic for you. And so he said, well, why don't you do a clinic? So what's interesting is now that I'm a grown man, I look back at this situation and here's a kid that was in grade nine that had basically come back and told him a complete lie and yet he, in that moment, knew that that would make me feel good. 
that if it meant coming back to his school and if it meant that I had to, you know, essentially show my wares in front of some kids in grade six and grade seven, that, whoa, look at this kid, he throws the ball hard. And if that made me feel good, then sure, he'll learn that lesson someday. So wouldn't you know it, at the end of the school day, they get on the PA and they say, hey, every kid that wants to come and see, there's a clinic. And lo and behold, there's me throwing a ball against a wall, showing everybody how to throw a ball within a strike zone. <laughs> it was a couple of pieces of tape on a wall. Well, I got to walk around like I was the king. And he let me do it. He let me for a good 15, 20 minutes in front of a bunch of kids tell everybody that this is what happens in minor league baseball and this is this and that is that and I walked out and I felt like the bee's knees never saw Mr. Lehman again after that day so I fast forward to I don't know I might have been in my mid-30s to be honest with you and I hadn't thought about that portion of my life for a long long time and I was driving and all of a sudden I thought back to that moment and now, of course, I'm completely aware that that is an absolute impossibility, that you can't be in the ninth grade playing baseball professionally, much less at AA, much less meeting Nolan Ryan, much less insert fabrication here. It hit me in the weirdest moment. I was just driving along, and all of a sudden I realized, wow, he knew that I was lying, but he also knew that at some point in my life, when I reflected back on that moment, I would get the lesson. The lesson comes in the fact that every once in a while, you just got to let a kid be a kid. And sometimes, and I, I, again, maybe everybody takes different lessons from this, but the lesson that I got was he knew that I was a kid that was scuffling, that I was a kid that was having a tough time. And if even for one day that I got to stand in front of some other kids and feel like I was a guy, then it was worth it. And at that moment, Back when I was in the ninth grade, I never got it. It never made sense to me. If anything, I walked away thinking, ha-ha, I pulled one over them. But imagine fast-forwarding like half a lifetime away and all of a sudden realizing that, yeah, he knew it all along. I have taken that moment with me every single place that I have gone. And it's funny because now that my kids are in and around that age, actually a little older, but in and around that age... I understand when every once in a while they come to me with a story that probably is a little far-fetched, but it's not going to hurt anybody. And I think one day they'll understand that I knew. That, to me, is not just good parenting or good teaching. That's just being a good person. I just remember thinking back in that moment, what a good man he was. Like, what a good person. So many people would have been like, that's not true. Or in today's age, with the internet, it takes you, what, half a second to type into Google, is this true or is this false, and they'll let you know. I, I just remember thinking, as I was having this conversation with my daughter the other day, telling her this story about a teacher that I had some 30 years ago, that he gave me a moment that I'll never forget, and he gave me a, a lesson that I will never forget. It was extraordinary. I tried to look him up, I couldn't find him. I'm assuming he was, he was in his late 60s when I was a kid, so... I would imagine unless things went really well for him, uh, we'll have this conversation in some other place. But um, it was it was a really cool moment for my daughter. It was a really cool moment of reflection. So I guess the moral of the story and why I tell this to you, every once in a while, you'll live in your dream. And then every once in a while, you get to live your dream. And I am so lucky that I've had the experience to have had those both happen to me uh, in a lifetime and actually be aware of those moments as a whole.
All right, uh, kind of a crazy way to finish up, <laughs> should we? How about this? Let's take the weekend off. Let's recalibrate. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, I am about 15 minutes away from posting any W2, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Uh, our second show was at the Vancouver Convention Center this past weekend. Talk about living a dream. And you will have an opportunity to see the full two-hour and 48-minute show. You don't have to watch the whole thing. I mean, if you want to, it's great. Myself, Jordan Bowman, Justin Morissette are on the call. Yes, it is a fully broadcast two hours and 48 minutes. If you want to see some of the greatest wrestlers in the Pacific Northwest all come together at the same time, do me a favor. Go on YouTube and track down Nation Extreme Wrestling 2. It should be there before the sun goes down. All right, my thanks to everybody behind the scenes, everybody over at Equity Guru, Chris Perry. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to either do this show or wrestling or both. My thanks to Galen. My thanks to Jay Swing, my producer, my producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother, and of course to the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. Let's do this again on Monday, shall we? I'm Rob Bay. Go Canucks, go Leafs, go any team that you cheer for. And yes, we'll have another week of the NFL to talk about as well. You've been listening to Sports Bar Radio, presenting to you by Equity Guru. I'll see you tomorrow. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.